Welcome. You are listening to a sermon preached at Church at the Armory. If you like what you hear, share it. God bless you. All right. Everybody doing well? I have got a message for you. You are going to love it. Which probably means you might, might, or might, or might not love it, okay? Um, I don't know why this message has been so heavy on my heart this week. And it's because it's not really a, a, a quote-unquote heavy message. But the more I, I, I listen to you, you and your needs and, 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 and all this kind of stuff, I really think that this is an important message. We can pray. Let me just kind of give you a, little, a short little um, teaching here. You can pray. Or you can um, have somebody pray for you, and you can be touched or delivered, that makes sense, from something. Or you can come in this room this morning, and God touch you, and now you feel like you're going to win the battle. Or now you feel like you've got uh, joy, or now you feel like you've got order back into your life. But those singular moments, those little moments, they're not the end all. They're the launching pad. You have to take that moment and then disciple it out. Does that make sense? So in the story of, 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 of the Jesus talking about this parable about this house and it had demons in it, right? And they went and they, and they cast all the demons out. And so many people that think that's where the kind of story ends. That's not where the story ends. The story ends that if you don't occupy that house with the Holy Spirit and walk out the, 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 uh, the occupancy of the Spirit in that situation, then it will get worse for you. So discipleship after you had a moment with God is huge. Does that make sense? Learning how to walk out those things is huge. And so I want to give you some discipleship this morning. And I'm going to teach on, I'm going to, I'm going to really try to teach on the subject of humility. Now this is an odd question to ask. Raise your hand if you're humble. <laughs> well, I'm the most humble person here. Right, right, me, right? Okay, that's like a, that's kind of a catch twenty two question. But humility. Why do we need to talk about humility? Humility is not that big of a deal. Humility is a big deal. And we're going to learn about why it's a big deal, and we're going to learn about why we need humility. Um, there is this there is this hierarchy that exists inside of I'm going to say nature creation. Um, it, it can be bad, but it's mostly just is what it is, a hierarchy. Let me put it to you this way. If, if, raise your hand if you got a dog. If I said next Sunday, bring your dog. And I said, we're going to clear out the chairs. Everybody throw your dog in this room. We're going to shut all the doors. And then we're going to come back next week. Hey, we'll put some food out there and all this kind of stuff. And they got a little doggy door. They can go to the bathroom or whatever. Okay, but, but I mean, we're going to come back next week. What you will discover a week later is that inside of a bunch of dogs, there will be an established hierarchy after one week that they will figure out who the top dog <laughs> is, right? And, 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 and who needs to, like, you know, you know, submit or kind of thing to the to the top dogs and that kind of thing. And so this hierarchy, this is this is, this goes with everything. This is me as a deer hunter. This is why I love November. Because I'm gonna sit in the woods and you'll watch deer fight one another. That makes sense? 
and then you could get a chance to, you know, sucker punch one of them guys because they're paying attention to fighting one another. Does that make sense? And because there's this nature establishes its hierarchy. It's true with, uh, I learned this this week. This is such a cool thing. Um, springtime, right? And you get up, you get up in the morning, sun's coming up, grab your cup of coffee, go sit on the porch. How many, are, how many of y'all love doing that? Okay. And then you hear, especially springtime, you hear the birds chirping. The little, you know, the little birds, the bluebirds, the, 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 and, and they're chirping. And you're like, oh, they're just singing and making melody in their hearts to the Lord, right? It's so beautiful. It's the, the bird song of the Lord. Actually, what's happening is this bird is in this tree and it's telling everybody else, this is my spot. This is my limb. This is where I'm going to make my nest. You need to stay away. There's so much attitude in the song of the bird of establishing its hierarchy. And we're sitting here, aren't they so peaceful? No, they're like, my tree, stay away, Jack. Right? That's the songbird. Because it's establishing its hierarchy and its order. The point, and this is true with humanity, you know, if... um, you know, some kind of apocalyptic event happened and the earth was just cleared of all humanity. But since, since we're meeting in an armory, we're safe, right? And so we had to like start over with humanity. Well, somebody's got to be king. <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing. But the point is, it's like, you know, everything will just shake itself out into hierarchy over and over and over and over again. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Jesus does this teaching about hierarchy, listen, and he does this teaching about hierarchy, and it's totally different from our natural way of establishing who's at the top. He teaches things like, if you uh, want to be exalted, you have to humble yourself. See, in the natural realm, it's dog-eat-dog, in the natural realm, it's conquer and destroy and divide, and right? In the natural realm, it's step on whoever you have to step on to get to the... But see, in the spiritual realm, in Jesus' kingdom, the only way up is down. Because the kingdom of God is upside down. Does that make sense? So, therefore, if you uh, 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 if humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will live. <laughs> right? Humble yourself in the side of the Lord and he will lift you up. So the only way up is down. The, I, cannot, I, I can't get into the scripture because if I get into the scripture, I will spend the rest of the day here. It's my 100% most favorite scripture ever written in the Bible. How I many I know what it is? It's Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ, who did not consider equality with God something to be, be grasped, but made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself and became a man, and he humbled himself even to the point of death. Therefore, at the name of Jesus, God has exalted him, and at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, right? So it's the idea of God of creation who humbles himself to humanity, and God has no choice but to resurrect him up into glory. And and, does that make sense? And at his name, he goes above every name. 
he, he goes to a higher place than he was before. I don't even know how that makes sense, but what the scripture says. He, he, he is highly exalted, right? And because the only way up is down. So this is why we need to talk about humility. Because if we approach, if we approach life, our relationships, our friendships, our family, our workplaces... If we approach life with a sense of arrogance and pride, well, actually, the scripture says that you get knocked down. But see, the only way up is to go low. If you come to God in arrogance, not confidence, for we can boldly go before the throne, but if you come to God with a sense of arrogance, you get rejected. But if you come to God with humility... You get grace. Somebody say amen. So let's, let's look at some scriptures here. James chapter 4 verse 6. Everybody knows this is the first one you probably got to start with. But he, God, gives a greater grace. A greater grace. He gives a greater grace. Therefore it says, God, look, God doesn't. This is not my word. This is, this is the Bible. God doesn't just, this is a psalm that's quoted. Uh, James quotes it. Peter quotes it. This is a big deal. God doesn't just kind of turn a blind eye and ignore the proud. He literally opposes. Like, like when the proud sets his heart to do something, then God opposes what, that, what the proud sets his heart to do. It might be one thing in your heart to be kind of ignored by God. It's a whole other thing to find yourself where God now opposes you. Does that make sense? So to be proud or arrogant, to be, to be self-righteous, which is the whole thing we hate about religion, right? To be this way, you, get, you literally get the opposition of God. But what does he do to the humble? He gives grace I mean, not just grace, he gives greater grace to the humble. So if you need, raise your hand if you need some grace. You're going through a situation, you need grace in your life. The, the, the key way to get grace in your situation, well, this is so true. Y'all think this out in any conflict you've ever gone through. The way to get grace in your situation is to walk the humble road. Because it, it's not just that, that, that you hope it goes well. It's that God actually comes and puts greater grace on your life and fights on your behalf. That makes sense? And then, and then listen to me. If you're in a position of grace and, and, and something is in a position of pride and y'all are, are butting heads, well, which side is God opposing and which side is he granting? That makes sense? So God gives greater grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. First Peter says this. Go to the next verse. First Peter 5, 5. You young men, not me no more. I'm old. I'm over 40. Okay? You young men, right? I thought y'all would think that was funny, right? You young men, likewise, subject yourselves to the elders, all of you. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another. 
Why? Why does God even point out, the, uh, uh, look at me, everybody, everybody that's under the age of, of you know, 40-ish, or, you know, Chester's age and below, 42. Okay, everybody, and, and, and I want you to look at me. Why do you need to understand this principle? Because we go through periods of life. Anybody ever raised a teenager? See, got, <laughs> right? And then all of a sudden, you know, like when they're seven, eight, nine, we're real smart. And then puberty happens, and then we just turn into, like, parents and leadership. Uh, you know, anybody in authority turns into someone who doesn't have the capacity to understand anything anymore. Right? Hey, if you touch that fire, it will burn your hand. You don't know what you're talking about. That's old school teaching. <laughs> right? Okay, boomer. Right? You see what I'm saying? Like, literally... <laughs> The sky is blue. Actually, it's not blue. You know, whatever. You know, and they'll argue about anything because they know everything. And so the scripture says, you young men, young people, you need to go find somebody who's smarter than you, who's been through more than you've been through. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. All the young people said Amen. Okay, <laughs> okay. you need to go find somebody, and then when you get to that person, it's not just enough to have somebody to speak into your life. I think that's where we miss the point, is we all just kind of get somebody to, well, that's, that's the person that I need to speak in my life. But it's not that you just find somebody to speak into your life, it's that you find somebody to speak in your life, and you approach that relationship the right way, which is you clothed in humility. You coming with the position of, I need to hear and I need to learn more than I need to speak. Right? And so God, again, 1 Peter quotes this psalm again. God opposes the proud. But if you need grace, grace comes from humility. Now let's just stop right for a second and let's just define humility. Humility is not a sense of lowly, uh, a, 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 a sense of low self-esteem. It is not a sense of low self-esteem. It's two different things to be lowly, but of low self-esteem. You can go low, but you can have the heart of God or royalty inside of your heart. Okay, so really, it's not. Uh, this is my favorite definition. Everybody heard it before. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Does that make sense? So really what humility is, 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 is um, You know what this is? <laughs> it's a kidney, okay? Now, it's supposed to be the earth, okay? It's the earth. Now, nobody in the room is prideful enough to think that you are the world. But what some people in the room think is, is they are the axis that the world spins on. I'm preaching now. That, you're the, that, that everything should evolve around you and your schedule and your time and your desires and your wants and your needs. 
<laughs> y'all, don't, y'all don't be looking at each other. Don't be calling names, okay? And so the idea is, the idea of humility is the, idea, is the ability to acknowledge that you're not the axis of the world. That really, Jesus is the reason everything's put into motion. And really, humility is, the, is ultimately, is I know my place, and my place is to serve something greater than myself. Like the will of God. See last week's sermon. Okay? So, so the idea of humility isn't the idea that, I, well, I'm a nobody, and I'm just, I'm, 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 a, I'm, I'm a this, and I'm a that, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a this, and, I'm a, I'm a, and it's, all, it's all, you know, going to the garden, eat worms, right? It's all that. Really, humility just takes the word. The, 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 the bad words in there aren't, I'm uh, not smart, or I'm not pretty, or I'm not handsome. or I'm, so all those, ne- those, those aren't the words. The word we need to get rid of in the context of humility is the word I. It's a, it's a constant focus on me and myself. And the word we need to get rid of is, what we need to embrace is, is ultimately you. And then, and then secondary, you. Which sounds a lot like the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And love others as yourself. And so when you're doing that, man, that is, that is the walking out of humility. Okay. I'm trying to teach. I'm trying not to preach. So don't, don't, don't take on this woe is me mentality. Matter of fact, a lot of times that woe is me victim mentality is stronger than an arrogant pride. And it's more, it's more detrimental to you because it really gets in, it, these fingers get into your soul and, it, and, and you have a hard time cutting that root out because it, it turns into a time like you were owed something because I was done wrong. But the, it's the same focal point, which is me. Myself and I. That makes sense. And so, what you have to do is to become selfless or humble. Let's talk about um, a couple other scriptures here. Oh, somebody needs to hear this. The idea that that people reject humility for. So I don't want to be humble because if I'm humble, well, then I get taken advantage of. Does that make sense? If I go low, they'll walk, on, they'll walk over me. And, and this is literally kind of like the struggle that if you don't know that there's a resurrection and you're a disciple, you thought, well, man, this man, this man Jesus, he was supposed to be king. He should have conquered this way, but he refused to, and he decided to be humble, and look how he's dying on a cross. But see, they don't see the big picture that him going low in resurrection, he's way more powerful than he would have been in, 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 in just a temporal uh, kingdom. That makes sense? And so, and so, hear me now. You're at forces. You decide to go low. You decide to be humble, and then the proud opposes you, right? And, you, and so you're at a standstill. You're at a war. This could be your marriage. This could be your, your relationships. This could be, uh, this could be whatever. Okay, this could be something at work. It could be whatever. And you're afraid that if I go the humble route, that I will be treated unfairly or unjustly. 
It's the lie of humility. That if I decide to be humble, then I won't, I won't, I won't get what actually I deserve. Justice. That makes sense? Which is the perfect lie the enemy wants to create because it's the opposite of what the scripture teaches. Get this in your spirit. He, God, leads you, the humble, in justice. And this is the key difference. Is that we will seek our own justice. And that is arrogant. But to allow God to defend us. To allow God to work on our behalf. To allow God to operate His justice in our situation. We have to take our hands off of the steering wheel. And we have to give Him full control. And we have to be humble and then watch God destroy our enemies. And I'm telling you, you go low. Here's the thing about humility that I need you to understand, but not turn into your motivation necessarily. But it is impossible to go humble and at some point not be exalted. Like we, there's this, there's this idea in our hearts that if we go low, we might get trapped low. Now you don't go low for the, circus, for the purpose of being exalted. You go low because that's the true way of the master. But what low produces, if you put a seed in a ground, it, it comes up and produces life. And so it's the, it's, the, it's the principle of really creation written into the context of humility that when you go low, God will produce something out of it. So if you go low, it's got to come up. And really, the, the struggle of our hearts, hear me, church at the armory, the struggle of our hearts is that when we begin to uh, be succeeded, and we begin to experience victory. Can we stay humble? When we experience growth and we experience life, because if you go low, you're going to, you're going to grow. And, and once we begin to experience life, can we not turn arrogant and go, well, we deserve this? My time's all been coming, right? Or can we stay humble? And realize that what got us to success was the low road. And humble doesn't mean, again, low self-esteem. It means a total reliance on God and not self. That makes sense? God leads the humble in justice. And God teaches the humble His way. And when you don't know where to go, Get humble, and then he will show you which way to walk. Let's go on to another verse. I believe it's Daniel. Before anybody's, before we read any of the scriptures, if I said, tell me about Daniel, right? Tell me about Daniel in the Bible. You know? Everybody ring out the first word. Everybody yell out the first word that comes to Daniel. We think of Daniel in the Bible. Go. Lion. What else? Wheels and wheels, right? Like all that, like you know, like confusing visions, right? Right, all this kind of stuff. Like prophet, right? We go through a, we go through hundreds of different words to describe Daniel, this prophet, this this vision, this guy who has visions, this guy who who can tell the end times, right? Right, this guy who sees into the future, this man who um, who, who who could not be destroyed in a lion's den. 
some of the first words Jesus prophesies, or excuse me, Jesus, God uh, says about Daniel. At his, uh, of why he was chosen and the beginning of Daniel's life. Then behold, a hand touched me, this is Daniel, and set me to trembling on my hands and knees. Everybody say, hey, who wants that visit from God? I do. <laughs> Amen. I want the, uh, you set my feet to dancing and trembling, right? Okay. He said to me, oh, Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words I'm about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken the word to me, I stood up trembling. Verse 12. Then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding. He's a man of vision. He's a man of prophecy. Like he sees and understands things that nobody else sees and understands. That makes sense? He's a prophet. From the first day that you set your heart and understanding this, and so what's the first thing we learn about Daniel from God? Is one, he set his heart to understanding, and two, you humbled yourself before your God. So he would say a thousand different things about Daniel, but the first two things that God says about Daniel is one, you set your heart to understand me, and you humbled yourself before me. What makes Daniel great is not his visions, is not his protection, it's his heart posture. The only reason he can go in the lion's den is because his heart was right. Does that make sense? If you find yourself being thrown into a lion's den, make sure your heart is humble. And God will make sure justice is done. That's good. That's good stuff, Chester. It's like a, like a minefield. Anyway, your words were heard and I've come to response. Listen to me, listen to me. From that humble heart, I heard your words and I have come in response to your words. Isn't that what we want? God to show up and defend our heart? But see, he gives grace and he's near the brokenhearted and he's near the humble. But man, if you're proud, he's not near that. He opposes that. And notice where the humility was targeted first. Not targeted this way, but targeted that way. It seems to me that we have embraced a theology that doesn't require man to humble themselves before God. Raise your hand if, you, if you've ever needed God's grace. Can I tell you without exception that everyone in this room that experienced the grace of God, you experienced it whenever you decided to humble yourself before him? So we can talk about those people out there that are proud and arrogant and set their hearts against God, but God, he loves them. Yes, he does. And God desires them, and he wants to pour out his grace on them. Yes, he does. But you know when that happens? When they humble themselves before God. And he will send the hammer of his Holy Ghost to come and beat down a hard heart, right? But I'm telling you, for the purpose is that we would humble ourselves before God. You cannot get grace unless we humble ourselves before God. You can't find an example of it in the Scripture. 
Only the humble get God's grace. And how many of y'all have been arrogant? Man, I've been so arrogant towards God. But it was the moment that I was convicted and I humbled myself that God came in and swept me up. That makes sense? So what we're praying is hard-hearted people to be broken in their heart, to, be hum- to humble themselves before God. Because that's whenever, the moment they humble themselves before God, he rushes in like a flood into a situation. Does that make sense? But the scripture is so full, Paul, the New Testament, so full of the mentality of the person who sets their heart against God in arrogance and pride. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's go on to the next verse. Two more verses, I believe, Micah, two more passages of scripture. If you don't have this verse highlighted in your Bible, circled, if you don't have this verse noted, you need to have this verse noted, Okay. Micah 6 6. A couple of verses here. With what shall I come to the Lord? Uh, how can I how should I approach God? And the question is, do I bring an offering? Right? And bow myself before God on high. The God of the universe, the one who is on high, how do I approach him? Now, you may, be thinking, you may be thinking right here, well, that's Old Testament, Micah, Old Testament, and it sure is. Well, see, now we can boldly go before the throne of grace, see, right? Because Jesus made a way, and that's 100% right. But you didn't do it. You can't boldly go before the throne of grace because of you. Anything you did, your righteousness, your abilities, your talents, your gifts, or your uh, your your... The fact that you are clean enough in your own doing. The only way we can approach God's throne as New Testament believers is because the grace of God, the blood of Jesus, has made it possible for us to go into his presence. So that would not produce less humility, but probably more I'm now more humble at the fact that this man would give his life to give me life in the throne room. This is the, this is the heart of worship. That worship drives us lower and lower. That the more we see him, the more we're grateful. Right? He who's been forgiven much but he had been forgiven, loves little. And it's not the idea that, that Andrew did worse than me, so there he, he loves God more than me. It's the idea that I have the revelation of how bad my sin was, and he doesn't. Does that make sense? It's the idea of, it's the idea of I, I, my eyes have been opened to the concept of how much I have been forgiven, and it humbles me. So with what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings and a yearling calf? Do I come with him to make sacrifices? Verse 7. Does the Lord take delight in a thousand rams? This is is like where he uses like hyperbole to, 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 to exaggerate the idea. Does God want a thousand rams? 10,000 rivers of oil. Make sense? 
He wants a thousand rams and ten thousand. And if you come to God with ten thousand rivers of oil, then then He will accept you in His presence. Makes sense. It's 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 that's it's it's exaggerated to 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 signify the absurdity of what we could bring to God. Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts? Man, this is deep. This is super deep. There's a movie that just came out, Son of, My Only Son, the story of Abraham. And it had never occurred to me until I watched that movie that the idea that as Abram is trying to figure out why he must sacrifice his only son, what, what, uh, I don't understand. This is completely by faith. I don't understand. Why do I need to sacrifice my own son? And it never occurred to me that he may have had the thought that he needed to bring his firstborn son to atone for past sin. I don't know, you know, uh, Hagar. Yeah. And this, that's what religion is, is the idea that we pay for our sin. That makes sense? I, how much penance can I put into practice in order to put myself in God's presence? And so Abraham, even this is why I love this verse. Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts? How can I make it up to God? And how can I produce enough penance? And so it's, it's, it's you know, and he's thinking, I deserve this on some level. The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Verse 8, he has told you, O man, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Everybody say require. It's not the, this is not a suggestion from heaven. This isn't a uh, fortune cookie philosophy. This is a requirement of those who want to be in God's presence. What has he told you, O man? What is good? And what does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly before your God. I'm not trying to disciple a group of people who feel the need to tiptoe before God because they think they're bad. That's not at all what I'm trying to create. But I am trying to, to disciple a group of people who know how to walk rightly before God and not flippantly, not with a sense of arrogance that I'm owed these steps. That makes sense? Not with a sense of arrogance and entitlement that, that uh, might, you know, like it's like the idea of that billionaire who has rich, snobby kids. That makes sense? Like they, they just deserve everything. No, 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 that's not us. We walk rightly before God in humility because we're constantly so, so overwhelmed at his goodness towards us. Does that make sense? And so this is, this is who has told you, O oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? The Lord requires you to do justice, to do kindness, and to walk humbly before him. But just in case you're one of those, now that's the Old Testament people. Right? Just in case you're one of those, well, that's not what the New Testament says. The New Testament says that we are the head and not the tail, and we are the, you know, all this kind of stuff. Well, let's just pull out some New Testament scripture. 
Colossians, is that right, brother? I think Colossians chapter 3. Raise your hand if you've been chosen of God. Good, if your hand's not up, you're wrong, okay? We're the chosen people of God. Like, we we are in his kingdom. Not, okay, okay, we have been chosen of God. You are holy and you are beloved. Come on, come on, preach my head off right now. Shout me down. I am the chosen of God. I am the the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Holy. I am the beloved of heaven. These things are true. How can they be so true and at the same time have such a rotten attitude in some hearts? Like religious people say this all the time. With arrogance. Not confidence, with arrogance. Because these truths must be mixed with humility. If you really understood that you were chosen of God, if you actually believed that the holiness, imputed righteousness of Christ Jesus was on your life, if you actually had the full revelation of what it meant to be loved by God and to be his beloved in all of eternity, it would drive you to so much humility you wouldn't recognize your present self. Put on. These are imperatives. These are not suggestions. These are imperatives. These are actionable steps for the disciple. You put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, pace, it's. Sorry, my, lock, my jaw got locked there for a second. Put on patience. I'm trying to be patient. Patience isn't something that just happens. It's something you must diligently participate in. And so is kindness and joy. Not listed here, but it's, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 13. Bearing with one another. Um, when Missy was having, when Missy was in the process of bearing a child, Lexi, ended up having to have an emergency C-section, Right? But before that, she pushed for how long? Two hours. And I'm trying to do what they do on TV. Because I don't know nothing. I'm 20, 20 years old. She's having a baby. She's pushing. She is bearing a child. And I stand by her head, and you know, I'm trying to just pet her like a little puppy. Because I don't, I don't know what to do with my hands, right? It's like, what, what do we do here? Like, how, many, how many of y'all dads know exactly what I'm talking about? It's like, I just don't want to mess anything up, right? So I pat you on the head. And, oh, this, wa- this wash rag is cold. Let's wipe your head with it. Okay, so I'm just trying to do something. And in the process of her bearing this child, she looks at me and says, stop with, <laughs> with, the, with the voice of many. Uh, okay she says I actually said please stop touching me this is how it went anytime a person speaks through their teeth when they're together 
please stop touching me. We are many, right? Right? Okay, so, so it's like, and you know, here's the deal. When somebody's bearing something in their life, they can be a bit unbearable themselves. And we're called to bear with them. But see, a self-centered, I am the axis of the world type mentality so that everybody sh- should just cater to me and my emotions at all the times. Like, the, the, the essence is, is the last set of passages are how to treat other people, right? In other terms, you be kind to them. But there's, this passage is, is the idea of you 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 got to put up with junk from, from other people. Sometimes the best way to describe how you got to treat with people or how you got to re- live with people is you just got to bear it for a little bit. See, you can't do that if you're arrogant and prideful. You can't do that if you feel like you're owed something in the situation. But to bear with one another. Does that make sense? That makes sense? So I didn't yell at my wife then and say, you can't talk to me that way, right? Because <laughs> I understand she's going through some things. Does that make sense? So to, under, to, to, to first seek to understand the, their, their situation, to first seek to bear with them in any situation, to those, those reactions is the process of walking in humility. I'm preaching real good. Bearing with one another. And not only do you bear them, bear with them, but sometimes they just flat out wrong. And sometimes they just goofed up. And sometimes they actually did do you wrong. And the process of humility is forgiveness. Bear with one another. Forgive each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone... Raise your head if you've ever had a complaint against anyone. Raise your hand if anyone has ever had a complaint against you. Do you want do you want to extend the kind of grace when you have a complaint against someone the way that you hope others can extend grace to you when they have a complaint against you? That's the process of humility. Does that make sense? That is the whole concept of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But if I'm not willing to extend mercy, but I'm willing to receive it, that is arrogance at the high. I mean, like, literally, not giving what you want is hypocrisy on the nth degree. Does that make sense? And just to put in the little kind of clarifier here is forgive others. In the same way that God forgave you. I know how rotten I was, is, and is to come. I can be a bearable un. That makes sense? Like, how many are fully aware of how rotten you can be from time to time? This is a bad time to peep your hands down. Or we pray the name of Jesus according to Ephesians 1.17 that you would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation right now. And how rotten you can be. Christ would show you. Amen. 
just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should forgive others. This is the way of humility. This is what he, according to Micah, requires of us. So, I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what relationship. Maybe, and maybe, let's not try to shove every, all this teaching into horizontal relationships where it's all about us and other people. Maybe this is a message about how you need to approach God right now. Oh, there's another verse. My bad, brother. Beyond all these things, put on love. Love is the way of humility, right? Love is humble. Love is not proud. Doesn't keep records. Amen? Love is, love is humble. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is perfect, is the perfect bond of unity. Love unites us together. Amen? So, if you have an enemy, the humble thing to do is to love the enemy, which is also, ironically, a commandment of Jesus. Good message, Pastor Chester. Great job. I love that message. That is so good. I'm going to download it and listen to it over and over again. Raise your hand if you needed to hear this today. Okay, good. I needed to study it all week. Y'all get, y'all get to think about being humble for 45 minutes. I get to think about being humble for seven days. Okay? So I need more than, that's the why I'm the preacher, because I need it more than you do. Amen? Stand up on your feet. We've been doing these closing prayers that are very um, kind of dangerous, okay? So I want you to think about what I'm about to ask you to pray. So close your eyes. Okay, last week I had you pray a dangerous prayer. The dangerous prayer was, Lord, put me back into the will of God. Put me, uh, uh, put me back into my calling. This week the prayer is dangerous and the prayer is this. If you need humility, I want you to pray, God, give me humility. Another way you would say that is humble me. That's a prayer you need. I want you to pray it. And don't be surprised when God answers it. So, Lord... We pray that you would humble us. And Lord, we pray that you would put our feet on the pathway of humility. In Jesus' name, everybody in agreement said, now look at me, look at me. Humility doesn't necessarily mean that you just roll over. Make sense? If you have to speak truths that are hard to somebody, you can do that in love, which is humble. Does that make sense? Humility doesn't mean just lay down and take it. It means 
whatever you do, do it in humility. So there's times as a parent, right, I may have to discipline children. Doesn't mean I have to, like, do it with arrogance. I have to do it with, right? Same way. If me and Missy get into a fight and she's wrong, which is most of the time, right, then, then, then I don't approach that situation with arrogance. I approach it with and if I approach it with humility, it'll probably be grace in that situation, which I would need. I probably need it right now. Amen? You see what I'm saying? So if you have to speak truth, if you have to go do something that's confrontational, how many of you hate confrontation? Raise your hand. How many of you hate it so bad with two hands? Okay, okay. Right? If you hate confrontation, that's not good either. And that's not necessarily humble. Avoiding confrontation isn't humble. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. But if you have to go into confrontation, do it with humility. Somebody say amen. Okay, everybody good. You guys are rock stars. You guys are awesome. You guys are amazing. I love you so much. I will see you Wednesday night for Bible study, and we'll see you next Sunday right back here. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.